Check it out. Welcome to Top of the Class. Hear from education experts and get insights from high achievers to learn how you can do the same. Get into those top schools. Ready? Proudly presented by Crimson Education, the world's leader in university admission support. Hello and welcome to the Top of the Class podcast. I'm your host, Alex Cork. And in this episode, I chat with none other than the first ever Time Magazine Kid of the Year, Gitanjali Rao. Out of 5,000 amazing young people, Gitanjali was judged to be Kid of the Year for her STEM innovations, community-focused apps, and her efforts to inspire others. We chat about how she approaches global problems, her views on how education needs to change, and what she hopes to do after school. Let's chat with Gitanjali Rao. Hello, good afternoon, Gitanjali. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, no, it's my pleasure to have you here and uh, be on the Top of the Class podcast. I'm going to guess this isn't your first podcast recording. It is not, no. (laughs) Uh, Well, is it your first interview with an Australian, though? It is, actually, yeah. There you go. First one. Fantastic. Well, I feel like I know a fair bit about your story already, uh, given that there is quite a lot of interviews out there. I'm looking forward to chatting and hearing more about everything that you've done. And obviously, like, congratulations on being Time Magazine Kid of the Year. That was a really nice photo shoot that they did for you. Yeah, it was actually a five-hour photo shoot before I even knew I was Kid of the Year. So I was like, why are there 25 people here and why is a photo shoot five hours? But um, there was a good reason and it was worth it at the end. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we can get into it then if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? First of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm Gitanjali Rao. I am 15 years old, and I'm an author, innovator, and promoter of STEM. So I essentially use science and technology as a catalyst for social change, but recently a lot of my work has also moved to global outreach. So helping other youth and students just like me understand you know, their inner passion for innovation and making a difference in society. An author, innovator, and promoter of STEM. Uh, when did you settle on that title? Um, I guess... Like literally like a week ago because everything is constantly changing. So, um, yeah, that's my title now, I guess. Yeah, it's a great way to think of yourself. And I guess it gives you that breadth and flexibility to do what you want to do and explore a whole lot of different areas because I know there's a lot of different strings to your bow that you've uh, developed apps and you have developed technology, Tethys as well. And you have written a book and now you're learning to fly, as I saw by your Twitter feed yesterday. So there's a lot of different things going on. Uh, Is there a story perhaps that encapsulates your love of science? Like if you were to go back through your, you know, how Gatanjali found her love of STEM, what would be the one story that comes to mind? I guess it would be a combination of a lot of different things. But if I had to stick with one, it would actually be Um, My uncle got me the science kit when I was four years old. And I actually asked for like a Barbie dream house, which I didn't end up getting. Um, But it honestly changed my life forever in the perspective that I realized that the, I guess, the way science can be incorporated in the world around me. And even though it was like, how can you make a volcano out of baking soda and vinegar? Mm. It still kind of gave me that, you know, an idea of what science is and how it can be used to solve real problems. And you are solving real problems, which I'm excited to chat to you about. But before we get to those real problems, I think that there's a lot of interesting skill sets that you have and a lot of interesting knowledge that you already have. What do you see as being some of the most important things that you now know that helps you to become a promoter and innovator and advocate of STEM? So there's obviously coding. I'm going to guess you know that because you do some app development. There's like how carbon nanotubes bond to fluoride and lead and all those kinds of things as well. So yes, I've done a little bit of research about what you do, which is awesome. 
But yeah, is there any particular kind of body of knowledge or skill set that you think has enabled you to step forward and become like such a great innovator in STEM? Yeah, I think honestly, beyond all the technology skills that I've kind of personally developed over the years, it's also a strong sense of community and realizing the reason for innovation and the reason behind innovating and coming up with ideas. Like, obviously, there is an aspect to, you know, creating a device or coding something. But I think beyond that, it's more important to understand how coding something can lead to an impact on the world. So most of all, it's just my curiosity and being aware of what's going on around me, because I can fully tell you that you can create an idea without knowing how to code or without knowing complicated chem concepts. But I think the more important thing is developing a curious skill set in which you can, you know, continue to maintain your passion and just the power that you put into everything you do. Yeah, which is an interesting point. I was going to ask you about whether you think it's mindset or skill set that enables you to do what you do. Um, I think a lot of people kind of look at your story and say, oh, she's a genius and kind of dismiss it as like you've been a freak of nature type of thing when in actual fact, it's probably due to more of like a mindset and how you see the world. So how you look at a problem like, say, contaminated water in Flint, Michigan, and look at yourself and think that you are the best person and well-placed to make a difference in this problem, right? A lot of students would look at this problem and be like, that is beyond me. You know, there's people working in government, there's people working in private companies, et cetera, who are working on this problem. How does like a 12 or 13-year-old Gitanjali Rao help in the situation? But you did and you created Tethys, which was awesome. So what was your mindset at that time that enabled you to think that you were able to help in that situation? Yeah, I think beyond anything, it was the idea of like, Going into some sort of problem like this, it's basically like you were talking about that mindset of looking at the world in a different perspective than you normally would. Like it's easy to just let the news play in the background, but I think it's another thing to try and pick up what's going on in society. So like Mm -hmm. I heard about the water crisis in Flint and it honestly kept me up. Um, I think just like knowing how many people were affected by that problem. And when something is has that much impact on your life, more than anything, if no one else is going to do it, I realized that I needed to do something. And that didn't have to be through an innovative approach. It could have been through activism, through raising my voice, through, I don't know, talking with other people to make it happen. But I chose to go that path. And I think that's the mindset you need to keep in mind when innovating and coming up with ideas or when even identifying a problem is the idea that, what if I look at this in a different perspective? What if I pick it up as, you know, something that I can do instead of waiting for someone else to do it? Well, I am interested in your quote, actually, which you could probably bring back to this Tethys project that you worked on, which was, and it got quoted a fair bit after your interview with Angelina Jolie, which was observe, brainstorm, research, build and communicate as like your process in how you approach these problems. And I think it's a really good way of thinking about things. And for students who are listening to the podcast, I think this is a really interesting way that you see a problem and you don't look at the entirety of the problem, you break it down into these steps. So can you perhaps take those steps and apply it to a project that you've done? It could be Tethys, but actually take us through like, what was it that you observed? How did you brainstorm? How did you research? How did you build and how you communicate? Understanding that this could be a long answer. Yeah. So the idea of this whole process is actually something I developed just by doing it over and over again. So the whole concept of observe, brainstorm, research, build, communicate, it's always been this thing that I have, you know, stuck with. And I didn't know it at the time, but now I've basically been able to flesh it out into words. And I think that's the really exciting portion of it is 
This is something that I have used, but more importantly, anyone can use. So this whole concept of this process that I've created is essentially just a prescriptive process towards innovation. It's my take on it. And I think that's really what differentiates it from, I guess, let's see, what have we learned in school? The scientific process, like the scientific method. It's like, come up with a hypothesis, test out your hypothesis, analyze your data and come up with a conclusion. If it doesn't work, do it again. Mm -hmm. And that's obviously so straightforward. And then we have the engineering design process, which is fairly similar, but it's more of like, um, I need to basically build something. And if that building thing doesn't work, then I need to tear it down and build it again. So the thing about innovation is it can really be taken in your own way you can make innovation whatever you want it to be and that's really why I stuck with it knowing that I wouldn't get bored of it because of the different ways that I could innovate so an innovation can take anywhere from what two days to three years it just depends on how you want to spend your time and how you want to work your way through the process so this process essentially just came about by me doing it over and over and over again. And now I'm basically just sharing what worked for me with so many other people around the world. Well, it's good that you are sharing these lessons with a lot of other people. And I know that you've been a TED speaker and a lot of other things, getting on the stage quite a lot and sharing your message. When you do get up on a stage, what do you think students, like if you're talking to a high school audience, what do you want them to take away from your talks? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is anyone can do it. I say that all the time and people don't believe it. Like you were talking about how a lot of people think I was born like a freak of nature. And it's, I guarantee you, I was not. I like was basically like, I still am like every other kid out there. I just basically take that energy and passion that I have for the things I love to do and put it into the real world. And if you're doing great things for the world, that's all that matters. All this recognition, while it is fantastic for my own motivation, it's, it's almost like a side effect that happens. And I think that that's what everyone needs to understand is that if you are doing great things for the world, if you are putting in the effort to do what you love, the secondary things will come automatically. Like my dad actually recently told me that, um, like we were talking about it and we're like, oh, if this hadn't happened, then this wouldn't have happened. Like if I didn't win kid of the year, then I probably wouldn't be doing all these interviews now. And I think we both had to take a second and reflect and be like, well, if someone is doing real world or real work for the world, they will f- be recognized in mm-hmm. some sort of manner. And I think that that's just what I want to put out there to everyone. And hopefully that's what people take away from my talks is if I can do it and you can do it, anyone can do it. And I and I said that to Angelina Julie. I can't be on first name basis. That's so weird for me. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, I did tell her that. And I think she felt moved by it because it's so true. Like, I'm basically just a kid doing what she loves. And I think it's so important to put it out there that I am no, by all means, not a freak of nature. I am just a kid like anyone else out there doing what, you know, creating an impact for the world. Yeah, that's a a really great way of thinking about it. And I love that response. I have been thinking about that quote, though, and that mindset of if I can do it, anyone can do it. And my challenge to that one is then what is stopping a whole legion of Gitanjali Rao's, you know, young innovators, et cetera, coming out into the world. I know that there's like, I mean, through just the top of the class podcast, I've met some amazing people and I challenge anyone to have a more inspiring follow list on Twitter than I do. But it's interesting to kind of think if there's, uh, you know, any kind of barrier or limitation that students are potentially experiencing that is 
kind of stopping them or preventing them from unleashing their potential and unleashing their innovations on the world, whether that be a mindset. I think the common one being like, oh, I'm just a student. What could I do? Maybe it's something else or, you know, when I'm 20 or 30, I'll make a difference. Or it could be, you know, that idea that a lot of students are just saying focusing on school, like getting a good score and and doing those kinds of things and staying within the limitations of the school curriculum. But yeah, I'd love to get your take on that in terms of like, what do you see as the common limitations that are stopping students from achieving at that kind of heights that you may have set? And understanding that the heights that you've set are fairly dizzying heights. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's first important to address that the education system has stayed the same for what? Like, 50 years. And Mm -hmm. we haven't changed a thing about it until now, like the whole virtual aspect idea. But I think the thing that needs to change is the fact that we shouldn't be judged on our ability to get an A in math class. Instead, it should be our ability to solve problems, use it for real world situations. So I do get that because I am a high school student and I do want to get an A in the class while doing the things that I love. So I think the reason that's stopping all of these high school students is one, they don't know where to start. Second, they don't know if they can do it. And third, it's almost like I have to do the bare minimum from, for school and then be done with it. And I get that feeling and I know how hard it is to try and balance everything. So like to address all those problems, one, for not knowing where to start, that's exactly why I'm putting out this process for anyone to use. Why I'm sharing my story is to show the importance that people can't, anyone can do it. Secondly, balancing your time has always been a hard thing for me too. And I think it's the idea of being able to combine what you love to do with school. So I was recently doing an interview and something that I really liked that I said was, When you go to school, you don't say I learned math or today I'm going to learn math, English, science, you know, history, art, music, whatever. You say I'm going to school. And I think it needs to be that same sort of concept is I am, you know, I'm innovating for better. And that could be using things you learn in school, like using that A in math class for something better. And that's just what people need to understand. And it's so hard to kind of pick that up as well. But and it was hard for me to pick that up. And it's still hard for me to pick that up. And then lastly, the idea of taking it beyond an assignment. Mm -hmm. Um, I think like the idea for Tethys actually started out as a science fair project. It started out as something I wanted to do for like it was an idea I came up with. And I was like, huh, maybe I could submit it into this challenge. And you know, I did end up winning and I like the young scientist challenge and things like that. But I realized that I didn't want to stop there. Like it motivated me to go further. But I think that's where that people are finding that halting point is when you see, you know, you have a solution, you have an idea and you get it so far and then you compete and you forget about the whole thing. I, I honestly say take it beyond a classroom assignment, take it beyond a science fair because you can't do so much more with it. So those are basically some of my ideas of why there aren't more of me out there. And I think we really need to clear that up. And whether that's in the way of switching up how the education system works or whether that's in the way of just putting out the message that anyone can do it, I think it does need to be changed. And it's a valid question that kids are still asking. Yeah, I can see that you are very passionate about this, which is awesome. I I think it's that idea that the end point is the assignment grade, whereas like maybe teachers, instead of, you know, writing a great job, they should be writing like, hey, keep going. I'm looking forward to seeing what happens next with this project, like giving students the the option or giving students the uh, the in 
to say, hey, look, you've done great on that project. Keep working on it. You know, like I'd love to yeah. see it continue and evolve and not just over the course of, say, a couple of weeks, which is what most science projects are at school, but over the course of a couple of months and maybe even a year or two for a student really to play out the full story or the full potential of these projects, uh, which actually leads me to one of my other questions. In terms of like Tethys and these kinds of things, I know that you developed them within a fairly short frame of time. You know, it was only a couple of months in some of the instances. I was chatting to the Google Science Fair winner from 2019, uh, Fion, who's lovely. And one of the things he said, which I thought was really interesting, was that surprisingly enough, if you're going to be an expert in a field, it doesn't take years and like a PhD to be an expert in that field. Sometimes it can take like a couple Google searches, reading Google Scholar, reading some articles, watching some YouTube videos, and very quickly, you can be in the top like three or 4% of people in that field. Is mm-hmm. that something you experienced? And if so, like, what are your shortcuts? He's totally right. And I think that that's the important thing is the idea that we have almost made this reality that you can only be an expert if you do like, you know, your four years of high school and then four years of college yeah. and then a PhD and then take up full-time research. And no, that's not true. And while, you know, you probably do need that to master like all of biology, let's say, for one specific topic that you want to use out there, a couple Google searches is all it takes. I actually have a whole chapter in my book about the idea of you don't need to know all the things in the world. Like when I was learning about nanotube sensor technology, I was 10 at the time. And I was kind of scared at the beginning because I did not want to memorize the periodic table. And I went and told my mentor who I was talking to at that time, like, you have to memorize the periodic table. And she's like, no, for what? Why? Why would you need to do that? And mm. I think that we that's what I've grown up with is understanding that if I need to master something, I need to know everything about it. So if you want to learn about nanotube sensor technology, learn about nanotubes. Just Everything you need to know about nanotubes. Don't learn anything beyond that. I still cannot recite the full periodic table by heart, but I can tell you everything there is to know about carbon nanotubes. And I think that that's something we need to put out there is you do not need years of school to be an expert in the field. And you do not need years of research to come up with an idea. You know, the bare minimum sometimes helps out the most. Yeah, exactly. And it kind of allows you to cut to the chase and say, you know, and and meet experts and kind of feel like you know what you're talking about, right? Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's probably that speed bump a lot of students face is they feel like they know a topic, but they feel like they don't know enough yet to go out there and actually start approaching professors and that kind of thing. But I think a lot of students would probably surprise themselves. Like after, you know, a couple of weeks of research, they'd probably be able to hold a fairly sensible, um, you know, intelligent conversation with professors in the field. Uh, just because they've gone deep into one particular topic, which is is really good advice. Now, I'm going to ask you some kind of practical questions because I feel like this is an interesting side of young scientists in particular. What does your room look like? So I'm going to guess that you do a lot of like playing around with different experiments and ideas, et cetera. Do you have like books lying around? If so, what books? Like, do you have a beaker lying around? I don't know. Like, can you give us a bit of a mental picture of what your room might look like? Yeah, I mean, it's usually messy because I'm kind of chaotic all the time. But um, it's it looks like basically every other teenager's room. Um, mine is the LED strips, which I wanted for Christmas, but it's fine. Um, but I think that the whole idea, it basically looks like every other teenager's room. But obviously, there are like 
all sorts of books in there. I'm an avid reader, but I think the books aren't exactly what you're thinking. There's like the whole Percy Jackson series and the Heroes Olympus series, and that's it, basically. And I think that, that is, that's such an exciting question, too, because you would expect it to be more than that. Um, but no, I, my room is basically just like every other teenager's room because I am like every other teenager. And I do a lot of my research on the computer, but most of the time that I spend working on my stuff is in the lab at the University of Colorado, Denver. So that's where my whole lab desk and table and stuff like that is. But um, my room is fairly simple. There's not really much going on. (laughs) That's okay. I mean, I think that's heartening to know that I think students, if they thought, well, I got to you know, have a whole kind of lab set at home. Well, you've got the great situation of having a lab set at a university. Uh, What's it been like working at a university when you are 15 years old? Yeah, it's definitely a new, new experience Um, just to, and it's almost humbling too, because you go there and you realize like, whoa, these people know a lot. And Mm. I have learned so much over the past couple of years I've been at the cell biology lab at, and I think at Anschutz specifically, there's so much you can get out of every single person there. And whether it's like literally going down to grab lunch with someone, there's always something new to learn. I remember the extensive emails and forms that I had to sign just to get a 13-year-old into the lab. But it has been so important. That is getting into the lab. The second thing was trying to get a key card into the lab, which another like two months. But I think the exciting thing is, you know, I have the opportunity to do that, but I take advantage of it every second of the day. And I think, yeah, that's the biggest thing is I am so fortunate to have that opportunity. And I love working at that lab. And while it does benefit me and my project, I also spend a lot of time, you know, helping out at the lab, like running DNA gels, just, you know, doing the normal because there's always something to learn. Yeah, I'm not sure like doing DNA gels is like doing the normal, but maybe for not many 15 year olds, maybe it is for you. But that's very cool. That's great to hear. And what are some of the goals of Time Magazine's Kid of the Year? I was telling someone the other day, I was like, I hope I haven't hit peak. Like, I feel like I don't know what could get better than the cover of Time. But um, I think it's almost like a go with the flow sort of situation. And um, I I guess we'll just see what's in store for me in 2021. I guess the biggest thing is I do want to keep coming up with ideas. Whatever I'm doing, I want to keep innovating. I will obviously still be a high school student. I'll, I'll keep innovating, coming up with ideas, working at the lab. Um, just see where the world takes me. Yeah. And, and obviously, like, uh, university is something that is on the sites. And I'm sure, like, I know actually you've been an avid reader of some of MIT's publications yeah. in the past, which is awesome. Which universities are you potentially aiming for? Yeah, so there's a lot, actually. And I do, of course, I'm still looking and I do change my mind a lot based on the different programs. But I think, obviously, the bigger schools like MIT and Stanford are long shots for everyone. And I think, um, but I I love their programs and I love the campus as a whole. I've visited MIT a couple times, actually, and I love it there. And yeah, I'd love to go there one day, but um, I'm also really loving, like, local stuff like the Colorado School of Mines has a fantastic bioengineering program and I've worked with a lot of people there as well as well as just CU Denver like I like it's so fun for me to go in every day and I could definitely see a future there as well I honestly don't know I think it ranges a lot um, right now and I do have a couple more years so I'll, I'll probably just end up thinking it out but hopefully around this time next year I'll have a closer idea. 
well, who knows? I mean, Stanford, MIT, you can't go wrong with these kind of schools. And I'm sure like the Colorado School of Mines and a lot of these other great universities are fantastic as well. Uh, but for someone who's already done so much and is like already working at labs, what value do you see in a college degree? Yeah, I think so many things important about higher education. I think it's just so hard to pick out. But the biggest thing about, you know, how higher education will evolve is I think you have that opportunity to be able to do research full time while working on school. And Mm -hmm. that's the kind of lifestyle that I would love to live is using what I learn in class for real world experience. So like, I don't know, doing a unit on like genetics one day, like gene editing one day, and then going to the lab after class and, you know, trying it out. And I think that sounds so fun to me, but it also sounds so important for our future is being able to use what we learn in school for the real world. So I think that's the most important thing about higher education and that prepares you to go out there and do whatever you're going to do after college. Fantastic. My last question for you, Gitanjali, is uh, what do you think the world or education or science will look like in 2050? Ooh, in 2050, I know that's definitely, it's so far out too. So it's kind of hard to think about but hopefully we've basically sorted out the education idea. Like we're we're going for a more problem-based learning approach. And I think I definitely want to see education for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we're really struggling with that right now, especially in third world countries. So I, I don't think education should have a price put to it. So hopefully we see education widely distributed. Um, and apart from that, I hope we're living in a much safer and cleaner world based, like I guess just a contamination of natural resources is a thing of the past. And um, of course, everyone is just looking together towards one common goal, because I think that's what we need right now is um, just people who are all passionate about making change, coming together for something bigger. I love that. I love that. Well, Katanjali, it's been awesome to have you on the show. And thank you so much for sharing your insights. I know you've got another interview to uh, go to. And I know you've been doing some multitasking on the side there, which I'm very impressed by, by the way. It's been awesome having you on the show. And I I really hope students connect with you on LinkedIn or Twitter or where could they find you? Oh, yeah. So you can find me on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. Um, Both my Twitter and Instagram are at Gitanjali A. Rao. And my LinkedIn is just at Gitanjali Rao. And you can come check me out there. And yeah, feel free to talk to me. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Gitanjali. It's been great to chat and enjoy the rest of your afternoon there in Colorado. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. No worries. Talk to you again soon. All right. Thanks for listening to Top of the Class. Subscribe for future episodes. For show notes and to plan your best future, head to crimsoneducation.org. 